Morning, everyone. <clears throat> so this is, um, and also good morning to those online. Any ideas how many are? Oh, there you are. <laughs> About 20. Oh, welcome. So it's quite a large service altogether then. It's so good to be able to be here in person, to be able to see you all again in person, and it's four dimensions instead of just three. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, this is a, uh, Chris asked me to talk about <clears throat> September the 18th, and uh, that was yesterday <clears throat> in God's Providence. So, what was God's Providence yesterday? Well, for me, I was going to the dump because we got um, <clears throat> builders in take, giving us a new bathroom. And so I went with my son Robert to take the old bathroom and stuff and rubble down to the dump. <clears throat> and then I was gardening, <clears throat> digging away, planting some new <clears throat> plants. <clears throat> but in terms of <clears throat> September the 18th in God's providence, <clears throat> may you remember that during the 1970s, Father gave two momentously important speeches. Uh, one September the 18th, 1974, at Madison Square Gardens and one September the 18th, 1976, in Washington Monument. And uh, that was really the first time I ever met Father, when I was on my two-day workshop. Then the culmination of the two-day workshop, when you know, he said, Father's a Messiah. Then they showed the Madison Square Gardens film. And if, uh, has anybody here seen that? Uh, only the old people. Uh, <laughs> Um, it's well worth seeing, and you can see the incredible passion that Father had. And this speech he gave was at the culmination of a, a speaking tour he went around the United States of America, entitled The New Future of Christianity. And for Father, as you know, Father received a, <coughs> his calling from Jesus on Easter, <coughs> Easter Sunday, and uh, <coughs> when he was uh, about 16, and it's because of that Father embarked upon this incredible mission that he took upon himself I sometimes wonder well if Jesus hadn't called him then what would he have done maybe he would have done something similar I don't know uh, but you know then I often thought about why did you know what was the circumstances why did Father why did Jesus approach Father and um you know, when you look at the founders of different faiths, different religions, <clears throat> you can see they all met God in a moment of incredible suffering. And, <clears throat> you know, from Father's autobiography, the reason why he's praying so desperately, so deeply to God on Easter Sunday was to understand why were the Korean people going through such intense suffering? You know, this incredible suffering that you could feel, why were they going through this intense suffering? And it's that moment then that Jesus appeared to him. And then you think about Moses. Also, he also, uh, you know, encountered incredible suffering. And the Jewish people, the Hebrews, also experienced incredible suffering. And so when God appeared to Moses, he also said, I've heard the voice of my children, my people, crying out to me in their suffering. And so again, that was enabled Moses to really understand the suffering heart of God. And Moses, God revealed himself to Moses, someone who cared and whose heart was touched by the suffering of his people. And the same with Jesus. We have no account of how Jesus was called. But again, a very, very similar situation. The Jewish people at that time were occupied by the Roman Empire, part of the Roman Empire. 
Roman occupation was incredibly harsh, incredibly cruel. And many, many thousands of Jewish people were crucified. That was just the normal way in which rebels were executed by the Romans. And they executed many thousands, tens of thousands of Jews who, ref who you know, wanted independence and freedom. So I can imagine then that Jesus also was praying to God in a similar kind of way that Moses was and that Father was as well. And so, yeah, so Father then was called by Jesus. And so that's always been the core of Father's sense of who he was or who he is, this deep connection to Jesus. And as you know, that when Jesus asked him to do this, he said no. I mean, to be honest, did Moses any different? Moses wasn't terribly enthusiastic about the calling that he received from God either. I don't suppose Jesus was either. I mean, to be honest, anybody who responds enthusiastically to God's calling is a lunatic. You know, <laughs> it's really harsh. And then, you know, Father also said that when Jesus, when, you know, one of the reasons he was reluctant to do that, because he realized if he said yes, then that would be the whole of his life. If he just decided that's what he's going to do himself, then at some point he could say, well, I've done as much as I, w I can, I'm going to retire. But when you make that kind of commitment to Jesus, or that kind of commitment, it's for one's whole life. And you can see the same kind of attitude in, in the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen. People say, why doesn't she retire? But when she was, I think, 21 or 22, when she gave a speech, uh, when she came to the, when her father died, then she said she would serve her for her whole life. Yeah, so that's why she's still working incredibly hard, even though she's incredibly old and with no understanding, no thought of retiring or stepping back. So it's a kind of you know thing, really. <clears throat> and so when Father went on this uh, you know talking, speaking tour about the new future of Christianity. Father realized that without the Christian foundation, it was impossible to establish the kingdom of heaven on this earth. Yeah? When you think about our own spiritual community, can we do that by ourselves? All you can say is no. I remember when I was in Russia, our family were there for seven years, missionaries from during the 1990s. And, um, you know, our church community is growing quite rapidly there. Well, I used to go to the Church of England. I'm an Anglican. And uh, I used to go there on, in Moscow to the, you know, start the Church of England. They were starting to recover its congregation. And I used to go there. And then one day, Mrs. Kang, who was if Mrs. Kang, the one who discovered Father in his little hut in Pusan, and she said to me, came around and said, can I come around for lunch? And I said, yeah, sure, you're welcome. So she came around to visit me for lunch. And she said, why don't you come to church? I said, I always go to church every Sunday. She said, I never see you. Well, I go to the Church of England. And she said, why don't you come to our church? And I said, well, that's not where I came from. I'm an Anglican. And then I explained to her why I go to church. And then I said, look, to, honestly speaking, to save Russia, our own spiritual community doesn't have the capacity to do that. The only institution that can save Russia is the Russian Orthodox Church. That's why we have to connect to the Russian Orthodox Church. We have to do that. And that's why Father spent, invested so much in trying to connect to Christianity. 
you know, before it started the Holy Spirit Association for the unification of world Christianity, he didn't start a new religion. He wanted to bring Christianity because he realized without the Christian foundation, God's providence cannot be accomplished. You cannot establish the kingdom of heaven by ourselves. We are too small. We need to connect to the existing religious traditions. We need to revive them. That's why Father talked about a new future of Christianity. And that's why Father spoke so passionately there at Madison Square Gardens. You have to watch that film. You know, only, you know, the last 10 years when Father's life, you know, Father was old. But you see that film, you watch that video, and Father speaking there in 1975, you can see Father and his height of his spiritual power and energy. Extraordinary. And incredible passion. Extraordinary passion. And, you know, through an interpreter, of course, through Bohi Park, who was interpreting. And for me, it was really interesting watching Father. He was incredibly passionate the way he was speaking and going around and, you know, there's a bulletproof screen because his life was in danger at that time, but he stepped, went beyond the bulletproof screen and went on the stage, you know, making himself basically a target. But then when, he was, when Bohi Park was translating, I watched Father, and Father was completely calm. Even though it looked like he was really emotionally involved and really passionate, when he was just listening to Bohi Park translating, he was incredibly calm, incredibly at peace with himself. Then I realized this person, even though he's incredibly passionate and incredibly emotional, he's completely in control of himself. Yeah? He's completely there. Yeah? He completely knows what he's doing. He hasn't lost control, despite when you look at him and the incredible passion of the speech that he gave. And he spoke deeply about Christianity and about Jesus' life, of course, and the whole role of uh, uh, John the Baptist and everything like that. And of course, it you know, caused a lot of shock for many Christians. But fathers desperate that they should understand you know, who Jesus was and what happened uh, and... Uh, you know, trying to do that. And the second speech that Father gave, I, I, mean, after, I think pretty much after that, when Father gave public speeches, he usually read them out. I think, I can't remember him ever giving another extemporaneous public speech like that. Normally he just read them out after that. Yankee Stadium and then Washington Monument. And so I read the Washington Monument speech again yesterday. And again, it starts off, of course, with God. Father was intoxicated with God. And that's what worship's about, becoming intoxicated with God. And that's the whole of Father's life is wrapped up in God and Jesus and the Bible stories and in trying to bring God's providence. And, you know, like the peace messages which Father gave, you know, when he traveled around the world the last few years of his life, he's basically just giving a summary of the principle. That's all it was. It was just a summary of the principle, a summary of God's providence, a summary of the story of why God created the world, about the fall, about the whole stories of restoration, and about what God was doing today. And that's what uh, Father's doing, yeah, just retelling God's story in a way in which we could find ourselves in God's story so we could try to write the next chapter of the story. Of course, we're never going to write the last chapter. It'll never get written, but we can write our own little chapter. And if you remember uh, Lord of the Rings, then Bilbo, he wrote his story, what was it called, The Hobbit, and then he handed it over to, um, what was it, Frodo? No, was it? Who's the next person after Bilbo Baggins? 
Frodo. I wrote that book so many times, I forgot. Frodo. And Frodo was going off to the Grey Havens, and he left the book for Sam and said, you know, you can write your little bit as well. And so that's what our life is like. We're trying to write the next chapter, a few pages in God's providence, and connecting it to what came before our little bit. And we hope that our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, that they will carry on participating in God's providence and writing their own little bit as well. And so that's why Father encourages us all to write our own autobiography. And I've been thinking about this. It's a lot of work writing a book, to be honest. Well, I visited uh, san uh, a couple of months ago. can't even remember when now. We were talking about this and came up with an idea. What about just um, sharing one's story, testimony? It's much easier to stand here and talk than it is to write. I never write sermons. It's just too difficult. Uh, but, you know, one can talk about one's life and you can do it through Zoom and it just is recorded and then I thought, well, it just gets a PowerPoint presentation, just go through one's old photograph album from one's childhood. I've inherited those from my, from my mum. And just pick out the, the, the photographs and then just retell the story of one's life for one's children and one's grandchildren. You know, and then also, if one can remember it, the story of one's parents' life, the story of one's grandparents' life, and just an illustrated story of the life of one's lineage as far back as one can go then one's own life, when one encountered and met true parents, and then one's life after that. And then I'm sure, you know, sometimes our own children are not so interested. But when they get older, they might start getting interested. And then you leave a record behind. And it's very easy to do that. You just, give a, you just talk to the, to the Zoom. You can get a little group of people together, and you can share it with them. And just, uh, you know, I think it's a nice thing to do. Anyway, so I was reading this speech yesterday. And uh, as I said, it was a bit like the peace message. It's very, very concise. Oh dear, I'm already looking at the, the clock. <laughs> I better go be quick then. And uh, what was different? And uh, what was new? You know, so a lot of it was summary of this providence. But then there was a couple of paragraphs which were different. So do you want to click on that? So this is from the speech the Father gave September the 18th, 1976. So today, America and Christianity together must take up the sacred task of world restoration. <clears throat> America must unite the cultures of the West and the East as well as the Middle East and create one great unified culture, ultimately fulfilling the mission of establishing the kingdom of God on earth. <clears throat> Judaism is God's first central religion. Christianity is the second. The Unification Church is the third coming with a new revelation that fulfilled the final chapter of God's providence. These central religions must unite in America and reach out to unite religions of the world. Judaism, centered upon the Old Testament, was the first work of God and is in the elder brother's position. Christianity, centered on the New Testament, is in the position of the second brother. The unification church to which God has given a new revelation, the completed testament, is in the position of the youngest brother. And this is really important. As far as understanding the relationship between Judaism and Christianity and the unification movement or family federation or whatever, <clears throat> he didn't dismiss them. And this is really important to understand. Father talks about the central importance of the unity of Judaism and Christianity in our own spiritual community. Because without 
Judaism and Christianity, it's not possible to establish the kingdom of God on the earth and then also connect to all the other religions. <clears throat> and so it says that Judaism is the position of the older brother. So who has, who has the birthright? Cain, Esau, the older brother has the birthright. What does the younger brother need to do? He needs to win the birthright from the older brother. How do you do that? You win the love and respect from the older brother. So the older brother says, yes, you have something you can teach me. Yeah? So you need to win the love and respect of Judaism and of Christianity. And this is a, you know, a really important issue. So Judaism. So the question is then, well, did Christianity inherit the Jewish foundation? The Jesus was a Jew. All Jesus' disciples are Jews. Jesus' mum, Mary, was a Jew, much to the shock of many Christians. She was Jewish, a Jewish mum. They're all Jews, and all the early members of, the, of, of what later came called the Christian church, they were all Jews. They were Jews that believed in Jesus. And it's only a period of several hundred years before the Jews who believed in Jesus separated from the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus and became two different religions in one sense. Yeah, and a lot of antagonism developed in that as, uh, as they separated. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> there was a, a, a movement within the Christian church. There are people called Gnostics. <clears throat> they said, we don't need the Old Testament. We don't need Judaism and a lot of anti-Semitic stuff going on there. We just need the New Testament and letters of Paul. But the, you know, fortunately, the, the wiser ones, they realized actually Jesus is a Jew. We need the Old Testament. And so Old Testament, the New Testament stuck onto the end of the, the Old, New Testament stuck onto the Old Testament. But uh, the problem is, though, that when Christians read the Old Testament, they read it through a particular kind of lens. They don't really grasp it or understand it. Then Christianity changed from, from Judaism in many different ways. And so Christianity became very influenced by Hellenism. And so to be a Christian, then, you have to subscribe to the Nicene Creed. There are certain things that you have to believe. If you don't believe these things, then you're called a heretic. And in the past, you could lose, you could be expelled from the church, and you could actually be put in prison, you could actually lose your life. That's the way it was quite relatively recently. Um, I think the last person who was executed in this country, so actually in Scotland, uh, for uh, heresy, was, uh, as far as I remember, in the 18th century, not very long ago. Uh, so for thousands of years, and uh, people risked their life if they didn't believe what they're supposed to believe. So that's very different to Judaism, which is a lot of openness, a lot of space about what you can believe. And so that then becomes the sort of origins of totalitarianism, that kind of, that kind of attitude, Christian totalitarianism. And so Christianity then has always been defined by correct belief. Judaism is defined not by what you believe, but by how you live. You have to observe the law. Ten Commandments, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you should do this, you should worship God, you should love your neighbor, you should do all these sorts of things. So a lot of space, a lot of openness there. Whereas, uh, so Christianity is more defined by having a correct belief. So I think then, because Christianity separated and lost that Jewish foundation, this made God's providence couldn't really go forward for 2,000 years in many ways. Uh, Christianity became totalitarian. There's no space, no freedom of religion within the Roman Empire, within Christianity. 
And so when the Messiah comes with different ideas, um, when Father came and spoke at Madison Square Gardens, what he said was profoundly shocking to many Christians, profoundly shocking and challenging. But what happened to him? He went home, next day got up, and carried on until he died naturally. If he'd, been, if he'd given a speech like that anywhere else than America, in Christian Europe, if he'd given that speech at any time before the Second World War, he would have been in serious trouble. Or any time in, in Eastern Europe until the collapse of communism, he would have been put in prison. Yeah? Because there wasn't that kind of space. And so it's very, very difficult then to create that kind of freedom of religion, which is so important, so necessary. And Christianity lost that freedom of the spirit because of its separate from Judaism. So we also have to inherit that aspect from the older brother. Yeah, it's really important. So anyway, those of you who come to my workshops, you realize that that's what I spend a lot of time talking about, trying to inherit, pass on to our own spiritual community, the Jewish and Christian foundation. So we can inherit that, because that's part of our foundation. We need that. We need to have the blessing and inherit the birthright from the older brother and the wisdom and the knowledge and understanding of everything else. And that deep foundation, then we can make connections also to other faiths. And Father, this is central to what Father was saying here. This is so central. <clears throat> and so Father's not just talking religious stuff. He's also talking politics. This is all politics. What's the relationship between Korea, United States, and America like? What's going on in Israel at the moment? What about the rise of anti-Semitism within Christian churches, within, within the Muslim world? What about that? What about the, you know, the desire to delegitimize the state of Israel, to say there shouldn't be a state of Israel? Etc. Etc. You 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 know you can read the discourse. You can read the conversation. You can hear what people say about Israel, about Jews. Uh, a lot of people, you know, you just go to, you know, you just drive past the synagogue in Pinner. They have guards outside there, you know, on the Friday and a Saturday. It's shocking, you know. Why do they have guards there with walkie-talkies? Because they're afraid of being attacked. It goes on huge amount of anti-Semitism in this country, never mind you know, in a lot of other countries. And so we need to think, okay, this is our brother. So we need to, you know, I know our movement, we spend a lot of time reaching out to Christianity, but also we need to reach out to Judaism. We need to speak up in defense of Judaism, Jews, they are older brother. And if you, nobody speaks up in defense of Jews. This is a reality. If somebody started speaking up in their defense who wasn't Jewish, I often do. And whenever I do, people ask me one thing. They say, are you Jewish? Always, without, a doubt, without exception, when I defend Israel or Jews, people always say, are you a Jew? It just so happens I am by birth. Not by upbringing, just because my mother's mother is Jewish. But for me, it's a shocking question. The idea that if you're not Jewish, then why would you want to be defending Jews or Israel? Yeah, it's shocking. So that's what I think we ought to be doing, speaking up in defense of Jews and Israel, which is what Father said, we have to unite with Christianity, you have to unite with Jews. And if you, you know, for Jews, that would be really shocking, to be honest, really shocking to think, whoa, who are you? Somebody speaking up in our defense, somebody defending <coughs> us, and they might start taking more interest in us. 
Yeah, unfortunately, our own spiritual community, the way in which we talk Bible stories, we talk the life of Jesus, is actually quite anti-Semitic. We don't realize that, but actually it is profoundly anti-Semitic. And it's something we need to change the way in which we understand and talk about the life of Jesus and uh, Jews generally. Anyway, because the reality is, you know, there's, you know, there are reasons why, you know, the Nazis tried to destroy the Jews. You know, ask Hitler, why did you want to destroy the Jews? He said, because Jew, conscience, Hitler said, is a Jewish idea. It is a Jewish idea. First person to exhibit uh, within, the whole of religious, within the whole of world literature, the first time you find the appearance of the idea of conscience is with Joseph in the Bible. So the Jews then invented the idea of conscience. And Hitler said, conscience is a Jewish idea, and I hate that idea of conscience, because I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do to follow my passions without feeling guilty about anything. So that was interesting kind of idea. So lots of stuff going on here. Anyway, so September the 18th then, that's when Father talked about this. Uh, oh, there's another slide. Sorry, I forgot. I'll just read it out and then I'll stop. I'm going to go on for too long here. So these three, oh, that's what I meant to talk about. Yeah, these three religions are indeed three brothers in the providence of God. And Israel, the United States, and Korea the nations where these three religions are based must also be brothers. The question is, how much does Korea stand up in defense of Israel? Not at all, because of economic interests with the Arab world, they're more interested in that, exporting engineering uh, uh, machinery. Because these three brothers have a common destiny representing God's side, the communist bloc, as Satan's representative, is trying to isolate and destroy the United Nations, trying to separate the relationship between these different countries. A lot of European countries now are distancing themselves from Israel, despite what Europeans did to Israel in the 19th, 20th century and before. Therefore, these three brother nations must join hands in a unified effort to restore the United Nations its original purpose and function. They must contribute internally to the unification of world religions and internally to the unification of the world itself. So for Father, in 1976, that is the key, that is the core relationship between Judaism, Christianity, our own spiritual community. And that's why Mother spent so much, you know, these speeches, she's reaching out to Christians again and again and again. Because the reality is without inheriting the Christian foundation, true parents cannot fulfill what it is that they want to do. We can't do it by ourselves. Look at this, we're just a small little group here. But we can do it by being like the salt. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, you're the salt of the earth. Now, you know, nobody eats teaspoons of salt. Anybody? You don't. You don't do it. You add a little sprinkling of salt to your food and it gives it taste. So that's what Jesus said. We are the salt of the earth. Yeah? We're a bit indigestible together. But when we're sprinkled out, we can bring flavor and taste to wherever we go. We can bring God's blessing to any little group or institution that we get involved with. And so what true mothers wanting to do, that's why people get are interested, because they feel by participating in God's providence, not that they understand it's God's providence, they experience some kind of blessing. They feel, because I turned up at that speech that true mother gave, I feel really happy and really good the next day. That was really, you know, it's something invisible, isn't it? 
It's something invisible, but it's something which is tangible. And people go along, they have a good experience. They don't know why, because everything's invisible, but it's God's grace, God's blessing. And they feel, that was good. That was meaningful. I'm glad I did that. That was a good thing that I did with my life, and I want to go along again. And, you know, that's why so many eminent people got involved with True Parents over the last you know, 30, 40 years despite all the stuff in the newspapers, because when they participated, they felt something special. It's invisible, but it's real. Yeah? It's like the blessing, or it's just a ceremony. But it is just a ceremony on the outside, but on the inside, people experience God's grace and God's blessing. So, yeah, September the 18th then. That was also the first time I saw True Parents. I went to America, to Washington Monument. <laughs> Saw so Father standing on the stage before the, September the 18th, and I thought he'd be encouraging us to go and work harder, but he never mentioned the Washington Monument rally, even though it was about 10 days before the rally. All he was talking about was going to Moscow. And I thought, this man is a lunatic. He's mad. And then I realized, he already, for him, the victory at Washington Monument is already in the bag. He knew it's, it's already there. He wasn't worried about it. He knew it was going to happen. So he was thinking about what was he going to do next. And I thought, this person is amazing. And the other thing, he had the most extraordinary sense of humor when I saw him. Through translation, I thought, this is the funniest man I've ever met or come across. Extraordinary sense of humor. He was rolling around, crying in laughter, his jokes and his sense of humor. At the same time, I thought, this person is incredibly comfortable in his own skin. He's just who he is. No airs, no graces. He is just who he is. And he knows who he is deeply. He's just being himself. That's all he's doing on the stage. He's just being himself. And I realized, yeah, this person, he is a, a true man. He really is, yeah, like true Adam in that sense. A true person. He's, uh, you know, what we should all be like. Okay, so I think I'm going to stop there. Um, so thank you all very much. I hope there's something there for everybody, a little bit. Thank you very much for those of you who've been online and uh, hope uh, meet you in person again soon. And uh, it's been great to see so many of you here. So wish you God's blessing on this week and uh, whatever it is that you put your, your mind and your heart and your hand to. Thank you. <laughs>